Everybody's wondering what's going to happen. Uh, me too. No. <laughs> I'd like to take you for a moment. Um, as we start, I, I'd kind of like you to do a little exercise with me, if you'll, if you'll humor me. And I'd like you to uh, put your hand out, so whatever you have in there, and then take your other hand, put two fingers, and just put it on your pulse. Take a pulse. Okay? Can you feel anything? Some of you can, some of you can't. Okay. Um, I used to uh, kind of pride myself in that in the morning I'd wake up and take my rest pulse. And I wanted it to be as low as it could be. Why? It makes it, why does it make me feel good? What's it an indicator of if, if my pulse? Good cardio health. Thank you, John. Um, it, it is in, in that if you have a very low pulse rate, like in the morning, like your rest pulse, your heart is really pumping. So you've been exercising, things like that. So I used to think, okay, if I could be at 50, you know, 47, that was good. I'm not sure what it is today. But uh, <coughs> hopefully it's close to that. I don't, I don't know. But um, it, it's an exercise. Today we're going to continue in the story in Luke um, uh, where Ron left off, and we're going to look at um, Mary really as a model of faith. Um, and, and one of the things that she did is, is she, as she heard what the angel told her, she believed, right? And she responded in worship and took action. Um, so that was a, 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 an indication of her heart. You know, Scripture talks about to watch over our heart with all diligence, it says, actually, above all else, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Our life comes from our heart, our center of our being, our will and motivation. So if we take a pulse and we don't feel anything, we're probably not alive, right? <laughs> so in our faith, if we are active, in our response to God. We read his word, we respond to God's word uh, through worship, through service. It's an indication, a barometer, if you will, of our faith and how we live it out. So just just a little exercise as we started. Um, Thank you for hearing me. This, um, you see this table. Pastor Ron told me, he said, um, he said, just do what you normally do. And I said, okay, well, I normally work off a table about so big. Some of you know I'm an I'm a, uh, instructor for Orange County Transit Authority, and I, and I teach on technical topics. This is, it is somewhat technical, but not like what I normally deal with. Um, so this works for me. I hope it doesn't interfere with you, but it works for me very well. It's just the right height. Um, today, so we are going to continue in the book of Luke. Um, and you have some notes. If you look in your handout, very creative. This is what happens when you um, uh, have difficulty formatting notes and you leave it to the end. Oh, yeah, that's right. They've got to have notes to write on. So, um, so be creative. The outline is real simple. We're going we're gonna to look at Mary's visit to Elizabeth. So we're coming to a new scene. Mary visits Elizabeth. We're going to look at Elizabeth's uh, response to Mary's visit. And then Mary's response to what Elizabeth has to say. So really, that's, that's our simple outline. If you want to jot those three things in there, Mary's visit, Elizabeth's response, and Mary's response to Elizabeth. That's, that's basically where we're going today. So we're going to uh, continue uh, looking at the book of Luke, which, as we know, is part one of a two-part volume. Acts is the second volume of Luke. And um, as Pastor Ron very appropriately entitled this series, Our Creation, Walking in the Footsteps of the Man Who is God. And that really capsulizes what Luke is trying to to tell us about Jesus and and his story. Um, Luke writes us in the introduction, he says, in verses 1 through 4, if you want to turn with me to Luke 1. Luke states, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word 
have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely from time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Theophilus, we don't really know who he was, probably some government official, a very influential man. And uh, Luke himself, very influential. We learned some things about Luke last week. First of all, he was a physician. Um, secondly, he was a, he was a historian and historian and, and an excellent writer. He was also um, a companion of Paul. He followed Paul around. And so he saw a lot of these things take place. Um, also that he used eyewitness accounts. Those were the best accounts that he could get to, to write his story as he compiled his story. So, so far in the narrative, as we've gone through, Pastor Ron has, has talked about, we followed two separate angelic proclamations. Uh, the angel Gabriel's announcement in the temple to the priest Zechariah that his barren elderly wife uh, would have a son who would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, that he would make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah re- responded. How did he respond? Unbelief, disbelief. Hey, I don't know how this is going to happen. So he leaves the temple deaf and mute. We find out later that he can only not speak. He can't hear. So six months later, and probably about 70 miles away, Gabriel makes a visit, this time to Mary, who's an unmarried teenager, who found God's favor, and he proclaims, you will bear a son and call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. I should have that memorized, right? For those of you who know. Um, I did play Gabriel in a play one time. So Gabriel um, also told Mary that Elizabeth, her elderly relative, who's never been able to have children, um was six months pregnant. So Mary responds, she's a little perplexed, but she's not doubting, she believed. And she said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. So her response, um, really we're going to hold up as a model to how uh, we should respond as believers. Maybe Mary was thinking about Isaiah 7.14 when she heard this, because Isaiah 7.14 Um, God tells the people, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So never before in the history of the world is a virgin born a son. But she, as she grew up in her home, I'm sure she was taught the book of Isaiah and and she learned this from an early age. And maybe then she recognized you know, this is going to happen. I think God prepared her ahead of time. It wasn't just, didn't just hit her brand new that day. So God makes two announcements. And what happens, That what appears to be two impossible events to prepare his people for the coming of the Lord. Zechariah responds in disbelief. And Mary responds with faith. And she submits to his will and his plan. So this is where we pick up the narrative today. And these are two stories that come together. They kind of collide. Before this time, uh, they're not, uh, they're separate. And Luke seems to um, use a a way of presenting a narrative. It's much like a play. He'll bring in one scene, and then he'll switch to another scene. Um, And so that's essentially what is happening now, that um, Mary states what she's going to do, And um, we pick up a new scene here, and let's start uh, and open up the text here to Luke 1, 39 through 56. So that's really our text for today. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that, that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary responds, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted the humble, those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. There's a lot there, um, and we're going to unpack it a little bit at a time. And as we go through, we'll draw some applications. And really, we're going to look at Mary as a model for the way, as believers today, that we should live. How we should worship, um, how we should serve, and how we should respond to God's word. So that's what we're going to take a look at today. So in verse 39 and 40, it says, In those days Mary rose and went in haste to the hill country, to a town in Judea. So the scene changes. Um, Mary departs really without delay after hearing the news of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So in, e, in the ESV, and you're probably reading from the ESV this morning, it says with haste, but the phrase can also mean eagerly or with fervor or with earnest commitment. It can mean any one of those. It helps to add to our understanding. Her faith in what she had heard from the angel prompts her to take immediate action. Sometimes we want to take immediate action. Um, the angel pointed to Elizabeth's pregnancy as a sign of the fulfillment of the promise given to Mary. And so I think that's at that point, she decided in her mind, I need to go visit, you know, Elizabeth. And God provided a relative who was a believer, a righteous woman. You know, she was from the family of Aaron. Her father was a priest, right? And so she had somebody that she could go to. I mean, it was... 70 to 100 miles away, a three-day's journey. But she had somebody that she could go to to, sh to share this news. Um, for a moment, just put yourself in, in Mary's position. Um, hearing this news, um, this is an appropriate way to kind of understand this story is to put ourselves in her shoes, that she's just sitting there doing what she normally does. And all of a sudden, an angel comes and makes this announcement. Um, an amazing announcement. Who are you going to go tell? She, um, it doesn't say that she went and told her mom and dad. Her mom and dad really aren't even in the picture here. So she decides that she is going to go visit Elizabeth because maybe Elizabeth might understand, you know, what she's going through. And how wonderful it is for us as believers that God has provided the church that we can have fellow believers that we can go to and talk about things. When God's doing something in our life, we don't understand something, we can go and God provides that uh, for us. And I think uh, that's what he intended all along. We have a community of believers, and she had a community that she could go to. Um, so let's, let's just kind of take a little pause right here. Uh, for a moment. Um, it says that Mary believes God and 
and now she acts on that belief. So Mary had faith. So just kind of walk through this, this with me as we kind of think this through. So we say Mary had faith. So let that sink in just for a moment. Um, and let's think this through. Faith is more than just intellectual belief, right? It says, um, scripture says that the demons believe, right? Um, are they saved? No. So they don't actually exercise that faith. So she intellectually believed that Gabriel told her, um, that she intellectually believed what Gabriel had told her, what he said. She believed that the virgin birth was possible and that it would happen. She didn't doubt. We don't read that she's wrestling with this in her mind, right? She just responds. She believes it. Um, she trusted her whole life to God's promise. So God, through Gabriel, tells her this is what's going to happen. And she said, basically, she said, I'm willing I submit myself to your will, whatever you want me to do, right? So she just puts her whole self in God's hands at that point. So she submitted herself to God's plan. She obeyed God's word. So if Mary, the mother of Christ, or I'll say it this way, Mary, the mother of Christ, modeled faith for the church. And there's four key elements that I just want to look at for her faith. So if you're taking notes, there's going to be four, okay? So this is how Mary modeled faith for the church today. First thing is that she believed. Okay? And I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Do you believe without qualification or reservation that Jesus is God? Do you likewise believe that he died on the cross for your sins and pay for them with his blood? Do you believe that he was physically resurrected and ascended to the right hand of God? Do you believe that you are a sinner and that your only hope is in Christ? Okay. Those are the questions that we face today. I love the worship this morning, leading us through these songs, stating these things that we believe in a, in a positive way. But belief starts with these things. We respond to God's word. He tells us um, who he is, what he's done. Um, do we believe those things? So that's how she married, modeled um, faith for Christians is Mary believed. Secondly, she not only believed, but she trusted. This is number two. I'm going to write down number two. Um, So if you believe the above, the above questions that we asked, have you trusted him alone? Have you rested everything on him for your salvation? Saving faith is belief plus trust. So it's kind of like um, we're reclining on the finished work of Christ, right? We're resting on that. We're trusting on that, the finished work of Christ. So belief plus trust. The next one, number three, is rest. It may seem like an odd one, but true faith rests in Christ's completed work. True faith rests in Christ's completed work on the cross and results in submission to God's plan and work in your life. It produces a calm reliance. You stop seeking God's approval or response through your works. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one could boast. So saving faith is something that um, comes about through belief and trust in the work that Christ has already completed. Say amen. Amen, right? So there's a certain amount of rest that comes to that because you're not all worked up thinking, I got to do all these things, right? I could never, never make it. You know, kind of a sad um, fact of life is um, within uh, the Mormon church, there's a very high suicide rate among women. Always trying to measure up. Always trying to meet that standard. It's a works-based faith. And and we don't have that. It doesn't stop there. Let me read um, Psalm uh, 62, 5 through 8. 
if you'd like to turn there, Psalm 62, 5 through 8. And you can read along with me. Starts out in verse 5. See, this is where you can hear the, the iPads and the phones. They can just, in two clicks, they can be there. Two or three clicks, right? Or your, or your, that, that's why I use an iPad. Just have to tell you because I'm constantly looking and finding things and searching, so it's a lot easier for me. Um, Psalm 62, 5 through 8. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. O God, on God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. He's our refuge, our strength, our rock, and our source of salvation. So the third part of... of, um, The faith that Mary modeled for the church is that she rested, she trusted uh, in in God. Number four is activity. And by activity, faith works. And um, this comes out of the argument in James, but also um, it results in a life of service and discipleship. We're created to do good works, uh, not to work to see God's approval, right? Ephesians 2.10, so the next verse that we read earlier, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So belief plus trust and rest in God's completed work, produces a life of activity. A a life of activity. Active faith. So faith works. Okay? So the question that we need to always ask ourselves is, is, do I really have saving faith? Is, you know, is my heart beating? Is my pulse there? You know, do I believe God? Do I trust him? Am I resting on his completed work in the cro- on the cross? And am I actively engaged in serving him with my whole being? My mind, my soul, my spirit, my body, everything. Okay? At this point, I would ask in class, I would, any questions? But I'm not going to do that. So we're going to keep going. <laughs> um Let's go to verse 40 and 41 of chapter 1. And we read this. And she entered the house of Zechariah, so that's Mary, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. So we know there's plenty of research available today that indicates that babies can respond to sound, right? There's even some like research that's way out there that they can respond to light and even facial. Um, they can s- recognize faces. That's kind of on the cutting edge, not proven yet. But there is research there. Um, I know because I just happened to stumble across it. Um, but we'll stick with the sound. So that doesn't seem that unusual that there would be um, a baby that would kick, right? Um, it happens normally. The problem is with that is it's not just normal because Mary or Elizabeth recognized it as something supernatural, something very different. And so why did the baby leap? Uh, First of all, who was John going to be? Anybody? John the Baptist. And what was his kind of title? What was he? Forerunner. Where would he fit in the classes of teacher, prophet, prophet? Okay, thank you. That, w- that was a little helps. Um, no, it's because you're not thinking what I'm thinking, so I've got to let it out somehow. Uh, that's my default. So there was a prophet in her womb, and 
He was only about nine inches tall. He probably weighed about a pound and a half. His skin was probably a little translucent. They could probably still see through him a little bit. But nevertheless, this was his first prophecy. Um, And it's pretty much universally accepted that that's that's the explanation of what actually transpired there. And that's the way Elizabeth interpreted this. So she recognized that the movement within, within her was very different. A little further down in verse 44, she gives an explanation of that. Um, Verse 44, Elizabeth states, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Okay, she interprets and tells us, you know, and Luke records it, he leapt for joy. Well, how did he leap for joy? Well, later on, uh, John gives us an explanation that... um, it was his joy, the ministry that God gave him to introduce the Savior of the world. That was his joy. And so right from the very beginning, even while he was still in his mother's womb, uh, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was basically making a prophetic statement of who this uh, new guy was that just walked into the room that was even smaller than he was. I mean, think of how, how big Jesus was at this point. Anybody know? He was a little zygote probably, right? So he's probably maybe five days old. Um, just following the chronology, he's probably about five, five days old. Interesting that um, this is actually the first point where um, it we're told that Mary is actually pregnant, that she's expecting a child. And it comes from, comes from Elizabeth. So let's take a look in... 41 and 45 through 45, it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're back to the same verse. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy and Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So we come across some uh, terms that we we read from time to time in the scripture. First one, um, and and we always can't put a handle on what what exactly they mean by it or Luke is saying. Um, First of all, Elizabeth uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit. So prior to the day of Pentecost, we know that the Holy Spirit would... uh, visit or um, he would uh, that that believers were filled with the Holy Spirit for a specific work or a task so this isn't after Pentecost we know and during Pentecost that's when the Holy Spirit Jesus said that I will send my spirit and he will dwell in you right um, so there was a big change at that point uh, after Christ was resurrected and then he gave us his Holy Spirit and now we have the spirit dwelling in all of us as believers but at this time, before Pentecost, we know that the Holy Spirit would visit or come upon someone for a specific task um, and give specific skills, craftsmanship, uh, prophecy, um, and different things that they did. So, so when we talk about filled with the Holy Spirit here, it's for a specific task or work. So she was filled with the Holy Spirit or empowered with the Holy Spirit or um, the Holy Spirit worked through her. Um, is really all we're talking about. The next word that kind of sticks out is this word blessed, right? She says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So there's really two blessings here. Both Mary and her child are are blessed. And here we're really talking about the recipients of God's favor. So um, when we look at the Beatitudes a little bit later, um, when... um, and other times when the, t- when the word blessed is used, it can mean happy. You know, happy are you, right? Happy are you, yeah. We have him right here in person. So um, where it means happy, but here it's, it's, it does have that sense of being happy, but also just a recipient of God's favor. So she's acknowledging that Mary is a recipient of God's favor. We know later on, when, when Gabriel actually spoke to her earlier, he said, you know, you're favored. Oh, favored one, right? 
so it's a, a state of happiness, a sense of well-being, such as in the phrase that you're, you were truly blessed would be um, what we might say today. But she says, you're, you, um, Elizabeth greets Mary as blessed among women. And so there's a sense here that the most blessed of women. So of all women, you are the most blessed. Okay, so that, that's really what is being said here. Um, if we go further, in verse 43, we read, A mother of my Lord. From the beginning of Luke's gospel, there is no mistake about the identity of who Christ was. He was the Lord. And um, over 20 times after that, there'll be references to um, the identity of Jesus as being Lord as a, um, as a baby. But um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth acknowledged the lordship of the embryonic Jesus. Her greeting is the first time Lord is applied to Jesus in, the, in his gospel, this gospel. And it's a term that occurs over 20 times in the birth narrative. The greeting really shows further that there's a distinction between um, Jesus and John, right? Jesus is Lord. He is God. Verse 45, um, Elizabeth makes the statement, blessed is she who believed. So how did Elizabeth know that Mary believed? I mean, you know, when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, and she just kind of showed up. She didn't send a letter. We don't hear. We don't read about that. She didn't. Obviously, they didn't have text messages or email, right? So she didn't. There was no advance warning. She just kind of showed up in the doorway. And Elizabeth knew all this stuff. You know, she knew she was pregnant, um, and she knew she believed. She knew that she was visited somehow by Gabriel, and she believed what God had told her. So how did she know? You can say something if you want. The Holy Spirit. Yeah, so the Holy Spirit was working in her and let her know that Mary was pregnant and that she was pregnant with, you know, only maybe five days pregnant, right? She, there's no, no baby bump, no nothing to show anything. And I, I don't even know if Mary knew at this point. We don't know. You know, maybe she did, maybe she didn't. I mean, she, she believed and she knew it was going to happen, but Elizabeth knew. And, um, you know, if you ever think you can hide something from God, um, guess again, it's just not going to happen. God gives gifts to different ones within the church body. Some have a gift of discernment, some have other gifts, but, and sometimes the Holy Spirit reveals things even today. Um, and so I always, I, I think about that. Well, do they know what I, what I'm thinking or what I'm doing or how do they know? Because, but anyway, God, God knows and sometimes he reveals that. And it looks like he did that here. Um, if we look at the story, so, so Mary was blessed because she believed. If we look in the Old Testament, the story of Jael, uh, however you pronounce that, is that how you pronounce it? Jael, J-A-E-L, right? She drove the stake in Cicero's, or Cicero's uh, head, right? Um, so in Judges 5, uh, 24, as, as recorded by uh, Deborah's song, um, she was blessed among women in the song of Deborah for killing Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite armies, but she was blessed for something that she did. Mary was blessed at this point for believing. Okay? She believed God, and, sh- and she was blessed. So there's a difference. This is a different kind of blessing that um, reason for the blessing that she's experiencing. Jesus later clarifies, and this is really an important point, Jesus later clarifies why Mary is blessed. So if, um, if you turn to uh, Luke 11, 27 through 28. Luke 11, 27 through 28. So Jesus is really kind of clarifying what why Mary is blessed, or kind of putting in perspective. So Luke eleven twenty seven through 28, we read, As he said these things, and this is Jesus, a woman 
in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he, mean Jesus, said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Okay? So Mary had a special place in history, and we never want to forget that. But really, today, if we hear the word of God, or if we read the word of God and keep it, Jesus is saying, those are the ones that are really blessed. Those are the ones that are going to receive God's favor. We read God's word. We believe what he said. We trust him. We rest in that, right? And we take action. We do what he wants us to do. He's designed us for good works, for doing things. And so we don't want to sit on our hands. So the reply clarifies Mary's not blessed simply because she is the mother who brings a special child in the world. It's because Mary has heard, believed, and obeyed. And she has become a model of our faith. So something else that happens here and that we haven't mentioned yet, but when God, usually when God um, has a plan, um, we don't know about it unless he tells us about it, right? And on bigger plans, he'll sometimes kind of whisper into his prophet's ears or tell his prophets, his trusted ones. We read about that, I think, in Psalm 22, that God will tell his prophets and his prophets will tell the people, right? He tells what's going to happen in advance. So we just got through going through the book of Isaiah and Isaiah spent a lot of time focusing on what was going to happen. Babylon was going to come. They were going to be carried off. All this stuff that was going to happen, right? And for those who have ears, they were supposed to hear and listen and, and respond. So, but God will tell us of his plan, what's coming, and then he'll, if we look back through scripture, we'll see that he confirms his plan over and over again. And it even happens in our individual lives. And that's why I wanted to, to stop here just for a moment. So God revealed his plan to Mary by an angel. This is a huge event. So he reveals his plan, but then it's confirmed really through Elizabeth. She goes to see Elizabeth. So as, as I'm reading this story, I'm thinking, God is so consistent. You know, he, he lets us know, um, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Okay? You made the right decision. So through trust, trusted people, you know, for, for Mary, it was Elizabeth. For you, it might be somebody else. Um, that God, it might be an event. And it might be a, a trusted pastor or friend who might you go to and will confirm. So as you're praying about something, as you're making a decision to go forward on something, he'll confirm it. Same time, he might come back to you and God might use people to, to warn you. Hey, don't go that way. And this is why. You know, it'd be real nice if we could just make all decisions that way and they were just all plain and simple, but a lot of them we just have to wrestle with in prayer, right? But he confirms, God always confirms his plan. It's consistent from the beginning to the end through Revelation. He's warning the people in Revelation, right? I'm going to do these things. And they still didn't repent, right? So another bowl of wrath gets poured out and they still didn't repent, right? So God continually warning, saying, hey, I'm, I'm here. You know, stand at the door and knock, right? Um, and they still didn't repent. So God's mercy is always displayed. He, when, he, when he gives a plan, he, he tells us in advance many times, and then he'll confirm that plan. And he did that here with Mary through Elizabeth. So let's go to Mary's response. So this would be point number three in your outline if you were making three big bullet points, right? Point number three, and the last point, is uh, Mary's response and it comes in two parts. It's a song of praise. It starts in verse 46 through 49. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Makes a great song, doesn't it? Um, so Mary's response 
in one word is worship. You know, praise, adoration, worship, worship to God. Um, very different from um, King Herod later, right? How did King Herod respond? Well, let me. I want to know where he is too because I want to worship him, right? Uh, did he really want to worship him? No, that was a rhetorical question. Just to, yeah, yeah. So he, he really didn't. He responded. He was he because he was jealous. So he didn't have a heart of faith, did he? But Mary's response in one word is worship. And so we call this the Song of Mary. It can be called the Magnificat, and that basically is a Latin term because a lot of the early church in the early centuries there were three songs in this narrative in Luke. And and the first one is the Magnificat or the Song of Mary. Um, So there's two others. And the two others, one is Zechariah's song or benediction. And that was uh, chapter 1, 68 through 79. And the third one is Simeon's song, chapter 2, 29 through 32. Remember, Simeon was just the older man prophet who was waiting for the coming of the Lord. And God had promised him that he would see Christ before he died. And uh, you ever heard John Michael Talbot sing that song? Um, Simeon's song, basically. It's just a beautiful song. But three songs that help us to understand um, the response of, of humans, of these believers, to the announcement of, of the angel. Um, how they viewed um, this response. So the Song of Mary, it's really an outburst of praise. And it's largely in Old Testament language as we read through it. Um, Her song begins with an expression of praise on a personal level. So there's two parts of it. And... um, a personal level for making him great. The second half of Mary's song moves from naming personal reasons for her to magnify the Lord to giving prophetic reasons. And we'll take a look at that uh, as well for making him great. If you read through, as we read through this um, song of Mary, that um, there's some resemblances to the song of Hannah that's recorded in Samuel. Um, very similar in the structure and the way it's set up, um, reminding uh, herself of things that God did in, in history and thanking God for some things that he has done for him for her. So let's look at some key words here that kind of pop off the pages at us of this song. And, and the first one in verse 46 is magnifies. Okay, the first word is magnifies that we want to take a look at. So in this case, it denotes like a a continual habit or act. As in Mary keeps on magnifying the Lord. So it's just not magnify the Lord. It's like a continual act. Magnifying the Lord. Some translations read, uh, my soul glorifies the Lord, if that helps shed a little more light on it. Um, And my spirit rejoices in my Savior, God my Savior. I am told that if it is rendered literally, um, that it states, my soul makes great the Lord, or my soul enlarges the Lord, right? So I I think of a kind of a magnifying glass. You know, you take it and you look at the scripture and you're reading about God or we see some of these, my rock, living God, judge, and we magnify that, we make it bigger, bigger. not that we can make God bigger, but that our understanding of it gets bigger, right? We, we can't make God bigger. I don't know. Haven't tried. I don't think it'll work. But our understanding of God, as we study the Word, as we read the Word, as we this morning as we're looking at the Word, as our understanding of God uh, increases, we're, we're magnifying the Lord and, and making Him bigger. And um, so... Let me read a quote here. Leon Morris, who writes for Tyndale, he says, Of course, God cannot be made any bigger, but he can be enlarged in one's life. 
in one's soul or spirit, as Mary put it. We magnify or enlarge God when we take into our thinking some new aspect of his greatness. For example, when we meditate on creation for the first time. Um, we look, maybe perhaps we look at Colossians 1, 15 through 18, or John 1, 1 through 3, or Hebrews chapter 1. So our thoughts regarding God are enlarged. Likewise, meditation on Christ's death and atonement in the gospel accounts will expand our theological knowledge. The fuller our knowledge of his greatness, the greater our ability is to enlarge him. So worship magnifies the Lord. And I just so much appreciate um, our worship team here and how they help us corporately. Because as corporately, we can, it's almost like uh, um, there's a synergy kind of that takes place as far as we feed off each other and help each other to, to magnify the Lord. So worship magnifies the Lord. Um, any questions? No, no, no questions on 95. Okay. Verse 46 and 47. It's interesting to note that um, Mary uses both soul and spirit when she's talking. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in Christ my Savior, my God my Savior. Um, there's really no, um, nothing more than a poetic parallelism. She's not trying to divide between the soul and spirit. She's not trying to make a distinction here. But it's a parallelism that takes place in and with the emphasis on that Mary is responding with her whole being. It's not just, this is just not just an intellectual assent. It's her whole being is responding. And everything that is her is responding. Her total self praises the Lord. So when Jesus began his ministry and proclaimed... In John chapter 4, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it. John chapter 4, 23 and 24, he said, Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. By worshiping in spirit, Jesus means that the inner human spirit and that small s, the inner person, God seeks people whose entire human spirit are engaged in worship. So true worshipers of God worship with all their being. He said that worship magnifies the Lord, but true worshipers of God worship the Lord with all of their being. Um, verse 48 and 9, uh, Mary considers herself as a servant. Um, she recognized that her pregnancy would affect all the generations after her. Um, humility or humble is mentioned twice here. There is an emphasis on being humble. You think of where Mary came from. She came from a little town called Nazareth. Later we hear, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? Um, so she came from humble circumstances. So the last part of Mary's song, and we'll close with this, is that um, in verse 50 through 55, she states, Oh, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. So the second part of Mary's song really deals with or talks about um, prophetic reasons for worshiping the Lord or for, or for making him great. So she speaks of the past 
almost as if she's remembering what God has done in the past, but she's also speaking of the future in the ministry that Jesus would have. It's like the commentaries are almost universally in agreement that this is not just about the past. This is about the ministry that Jesus would would take on. He would basically turn the tables. He would bring the pride low. He would make he would satisfy the hungry. So all those things would be played out in Jesus' life um, as time went forward. So Mary uses a prophetic past tense um, that really was historically informed. And, and um, the theme of the second half of Mary's song is the mighty reversals of the Messiah. The son would bring basically a, a moral reversal, social reversal, and so we're going to end end right here. But but as we conclude and as we end, um, I just I was challenged to really to look at Mary and her response, um, her response to what God told her uh, was worship. And and is is that my response when I read? You know, Mary had to have an angel come and speak to her. We have the Word of God right in our hands as he speaks to us every day, right? Um, How do I respond? Do I respond in worship? Do I respond by believing? Do I respond by trusting in what he said? Do I respond by resting in his complete work on the cross? And do I respond by not just sitting, but by being a man of action? Uh, Because faith works. Let's pray. We need to end. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful um, for your word, for the example of Mary, and how she is a, a really a, a model for faith in our, in our lives. And help us not to forget that. Lord, as we, as we go, I pray you'd be with each one. I pray that uh, you would take us home safely. Lord, and your word would continually uh, continue um, uh, to, to challenge us. In our minds, your Holy Spirit would continue to do his work of making us more like Christ. And just bless each one. And thank you for each one that's here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to take a break for about 10, 15 minutes. And-